the really crazy things are happening in the JGB market. And, uh, you know, you talk about things breaking. I mean, things are breaking, if not are broken right now. And who knows what the near-term repercussions are. Every day is like walking on eggshells with the JGB market. And if you get a blow up in the JGB market, it's not some Silicon Valley bank, then that could be global cross-asset, you know, repercussions uh, spilling over. That's why I need to keep an eye on it. Weston, welcome back to Ford Guidance. How you doing, man? Hello, Jack. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. I am great. I'm actually really happy, Weston, because I understand you've got some big news that you want to share. Yes, indeed. It is a very happy, uh, thrilling day for me today, Jack. Uh, I'm very thrilled to announce that I've joined BlockWorks Macro. And I'm thrilled because of two reasons. One is that I'm reunited with you, Jack, my partner in crime. Always an honor to work with you. Um, So I'm very excited about that. But the other reason is that um, I'm launching a brand new podcast on BlockWorks called Market Depth. And so those are very two very exciting things. That's phenomenal news, Weston. So glad to have you here at BlockWorks Macro. And I love the title already, Market Depth. Why did you choose that title? And what does it say about the type of content you'll be doing? Sure. So um, market depth is, you know, kind of a trading term or like a market sort of term where basically it refers to in a nutshell, the more market depth there is for a particular security, you know, bid ask um, sort of, I guess, open interest in something, uh, the more sort of activity there is, the more interest there is in in that kind of that specific security, whatever it may be. Uh, but market depth also refers to the sort of two general categories of things that I'm going to be covering. So in uh, kind of like a broad sort of um, overview, what this is, is like, you know, people are going to say, do we need yet another financial markets podcast talking about the same repetitive sort of narratives? Of course we don't, right? What we need is an additional angle in approaching these markets. And so that's what market depth comes in the podcast. Okay. So what I'm going to do is from my standpoint here in Asia, based in Tokyo, I'm going to be bringing basically key market developments um, from the Asia Pacific region that you need to be aware of cross asset class, right? Like equities, fixed income, FX, commodities, crypto. If it's a global market, you know, global asset class with like Asia impact, uh, you'll be hearing about it on market uh, depth podcast. Um, and since I'll be recording this at Asia markets close, those of you in Europe and in the US, you'll be able to tune in and just basically find out what's ha- happened overnight for you guys, right? And so that you'll be better informed as you go about your day. So market depth, the two kind of subcategories of, of things uh, or ways that I'll be you know, doing the show is that it'll be kind of market price action from the day that happened in Asia, be it e-minis, whatever it is. And then the depth part is that I'll be doing also some deep dives as well. Um, and not just like, here's today's sort of market price action. Here's what happened. Here's a cor- cross asset correlation. Here's the implications for, you know, U.S. cash open, so on and so forth. Um, or the carryover from from the U.S. Um, or weekend, you know, news developments and uh, market reactions and all that kind of thing, right? Because Asia, Asia starts the trading day. And so, you know, uh, I want to address that. Um, but sometimes I'm going to do some deep dives, including my, my uh, first episode, which is going to be launched uh, on the 15th of May. So, of March. Whoa, big. I'm sorry. 15th of, of March, of March. next Wednesday. This will yeah. air. So we're filming this Friday, March 10th. It will air the same day. Your uh, uh, first market depth will air on March 15th, Wednesday. It would be bad news if people had to wait till May. They'd, they'd be, you know, <laughs> what, what are we doing? Um, but yeah, no, they only, they only have to wait five days. And yeah, so uh, it's a timely show. It's about uh, daily short-term price action. 
uh, and that's important because people want to know what's going on. They don't want to be out of the loop. But then it's deep. It's a, a flaw of so much trading content is, oh, look at this line. Look at this line. The line's going up. The line's going down. Where you are the total opposite of that. You know, you, you worked at some of the biggest, most respected you know, banks in the world, uh, trading equity at macro derivatives, stuff like that. So you know, as if people don't know already, they'll see you're a very sharp guy. So you're deep and you're also going to be doing those, doing those uh, a deep format and you'll be specializing in the Asia region. Um, you know, you're at the Tokyo desk of BlockWorks Macro. And Asia begins the day of trading because everyone, yeah. you know, uh, in, in Europe and everywhere is, is, is asleep. Um, so the Bank of Japan news that for me was released at 3 p.m. my time. I'm here in New York. Uh, but that was much later in the day on Thursday for, for uh, excuse me, on Friday. Uh, so th that's what we're here to talk about, Weston, today. Today really is a new era for the Bank of Japan. Uh, because or there's a new guy old era. It's the end. It's the end of an old era. Yeah, it's the final chapter. So, uh, explain why it's the final chapter. Uh, who is leaving, and why is that person Gus Fring, and why is the incoming person uh, the sort <laughs> of Jesse Plemons character? And because uh, you made this really helpful, helpful graphic that will will flash on screen. Um, so, yeah, w w what's going on here? Who's leaving? Who's departing? What's sort of the internal politics? Sure. So um, today was a very, you know, not just important day for Bank of Japan or Japan for that matter, but really global macro um, because, uh, by the way, he's not leaving, um, but this is his last meeting as the sitting governor. But the Bank of Japan governor, Kuroda, after a decade, an unprecedented long, record long um, tenure, uh, this is his last BOJ meeting before his tenure um, expires. And we have a new Bank of Japan governor coming in, which I'll get to in a moment. But um, this is a really big deal because BOJ Governor Kuroda has been around since he since 2013. So he overlapped with Ben Bernanke, just to put things in perspective. Okay, So he is the last of the QE sort of regime um, and that he's been really uh, doing QE on steroids um, still to this day, to the very end of his, uh, his tenure. Um, there's no sort of you know, hiking cycle or anything like that. It's just been pedal to the metal, QE, and like uh, to an extreme level up to his very last day. Um, right. And so the audience doesn't know quantitative, uh, QE is quantitative easing. When the central bank adds assets to its balance sheet, it buys assets. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. And and it's actually, it's not a QE, it's, it's QQE. So it's quantitative and qualitative easing. QQE basically means quantity is like, you know, the, the amount they're doing. The qualitative is the types of assets that they're buying. BOJ is buying not just government bonds, but BOJ is also buying equity ETFs. So, you know, stepping directly into the equity markets, uh, corporate bonds, REITs, so on and so forth. So uh, when Governor Kroda first came in, um, basically exactly 10 years ago, um, it was uh, yeah, the March 2013 meeting. This was the start of Abenomics. Okay, this is arrow one of Abenomics that he kicked off. Large-scale asset purchases, QQE, qualitative and quantitative easing. Qualitative refers to the amount, which eventually became 80 trillion yen of monetary base expansion. Uh, quantitative, or quantitative is the amount. Qualitative is the type of assets that are to be purchased. And he expanded that to not just government bonds, not just JGBs, but to uh, equity index ETFs. So he's the, the bank, the central bank is directly buying the equity markets, uh, corporate bonds, REITs, so on and so forth. Um, so that's what QQE is. So he basically did QQE in 2013. 
Um, it was a massive bazooka uh, in 2014. Then Prime Minister Abe increases consumption tax uh, taxes on, cons- uh, on on consumers, basically austerity in the middle of this very fragile recovery, um, and kind of just like erased all the gains that the initial 2013 QQE sort of you know um, had started. Then in October of 2014 on Halloween, uh, they do another sh- massive shock Q- uh, QQE uh, boost. This is Corona again. Then 2016. Rates are cut negative in, um, in in Japan, where they still remain, and Japan is the only country in the world with negative rates to this day because the ECB and the Swiss National Bank are no longer in negative territory. Uh, and then in September of 2016, they introduced yield curve control, um, basically pinning the long end of the, the curve, the 10-year JGB yield, at around zero, and that policy still remains today uh, throughout you know, a Fed rate hiking cycle, a rate cutting cycle, a rate you know, kept at zero cycle, a rate hiking cycle again, and now potentially reaching a rate, you know, pausing cycle. Um, and throughout all that, BOJ's right, remain right, yeah. QQE, um, yeah, capping the 10-year JGB yield. Right, so through all the slings and arrows of Powell's raising rates for the first time, uh, Janet Yellen's raising rates, Powell's raising rates, up, oh, there's a Powell pivot, up, oh, there's a pandemic, rates are at zero, up, oh, now we're way behind the curve, now we're going 25, 50, 75, now we're at 475, all through, oh, Europe has to do it. Oh, Europe's waking up. Oh my God, emerging markets, they're at 13%. Brazil's at 15%, whatever. Throughout all of that, the Bank of negative Japan has been gone a slum- and ECB, a slumbering giant. Yeah, yeah, negative yeah. 0.1%, negative 10 basis points on the short-term rate. And the uh, 10-year yield is capped at zero. A fun tidbit I learned from you. Again, we'll get into the details right now, but now we're just you know laying out the... The, the sort of the, the foundations for the audience. But fun de- detail I learned from you is that yield curve control originally was to prevent yields from going down further rather than going up, as you know, many, many think. The outgoing Governor Crota is Gus Fring because there's a scene in Breaking Bad where Gus Fring is taking kind of live fire, like heading on, and he's walking into like this sniper who's just kind of, I don't know if you remember, bullets whizzing past him. You know, that's basically Governor Crota, who's just standing firm in the face of like getting, you know, live ammo shot at him, be it JGB shorts, JPY shorts, so on and so forth, all like criticism. So like he has just maintained, stood firm, unlike his other peers, for better or for worse. I'm not defending him, but I'm saying for better or for worse, there's no uh, Crota pivot, right? This is how I'm doing things. This is how I run my business. This is how it's, you know, this is how it is. And just because he's gone, like us, Fring, that does not mean that his policies are gone either. It his policies actually the legacy of his policies live on, and that's the analogy that, that I give for Governor Kuroda, outgoing Governor Kuroda. Right, that's perfect. Kuroda entered a dove, and he's leaving the Bank of Japan a, a dove with interest rates still negative, ten-year uh, yield still pinned between the range of at zero, uh, even though the band band has widened. So who's the new guy? Who's incoming Governor? Uh, Ueda, and why uh, why is he the Jesse Plemons character, and what might be gleaned from that the the Mike character uh, Amamiya, uh, the deputy bank of uh, uh, Japan governor, didn't step up to the job. Who who is this Ueda guy? Had you heard of Ueda a year ago? I, no, a year ago, a month ago, no, you know, basically a month ago, nobody knew who the this guy is, and this guy is now going to become the bank of Japan governor. Um, so the reason why he's Todd, okay, that might be a little harsh because Todd is quite a scumbag on the show. By the way, if you haven't seen Breaking Bad, stop like 
watching and learning about the Bank of Japan and all that, and watch Breaking Bad. That's like a priority. But Ueda, like Todd, is basically walking into a, a role, an extremely, you know, complex and powerful and influential role that he really, with all due respect, has no no place being um, because of a lack of competency and a lack of ability to do it. And furthermore, he really has no time or chance to like learn on the job. Um, and he just simply is a, a horrendous, horrendous disaster of a Bank of Japan governor pick. Again, with all due respect. I mean, for, for, for that matter, so would I. So would most people. Um, but the reason he was picked is not necessarily that he was picked. It's because there's nobody else who wants the job. That's like the the main takeaway um and that's where amamiya comes in so do you think amamiya had the opportunity he could have been it but yeah. but he said no yeah so outgoing deputy governor amamiya okay he's mike from breaking bad the kind of old guy who's been around for a very long time he's seen it all he's been on the inside he's been very loyal and all that and now he's he's too old for this shit basically is what i say right um when when Ueda was chosen, everybody scrambled around to find out like who the hell is this guy and and all that and and they're you know uh, they're they're looking at like past research papers and all that. He used to be on the Bank of Japan Governor uh, Board um, Board of Governors like in like the late nineties uh, till early two thousands, and so that's frankly it's an irrelevant time like era to draw from experiences from um and since then he's he's actually currently been uh, a university professor until about a month ago when he was suddenly tapped to become the bank of japan governor um a nobody right and has he made any statements about i love negative rates rates are way too low qe is not enough the balance sheet is too ridiculous has he made any statements at all or what what do we know about what he believes uh so he just is currently towing the parroting the the Kuroda sort of line uh as he should be right now um in this transitioner you know transition era even if he, he doesn't right and just to, clear, was there, what, but, when he was an academic was there any time where he he wrote anything saying rates are too low or because to uh an outsider's guess this is this is me an outsider guessing uh it could be that Bank of Japan policy is way too low and you want to reform the institution. So if you want to reform the institution, you don't just get the number one's right-hand man. You don't make the number two guy the number one guy. You get an outsider, someone who can uh, improve the system, who's not an, an insider because uh, you know they haven't been corrupted, to use a judgmental term. But they, you know, they, they like, like Jay Powell is, is kind of an outsider. You know, maybe... Um, you know, the interest rates would have stayed lower if if it was another sort of dovish person in um, uh, 2017 um, who, who replaced Yellen. You know, Powell was like an outside guy. You know, he was he was a banker. Uh, he was a lawyer. He had served at the Fed, but he was not an academic. Ueda also right. seems like kind of an outside guy. So do you think that Ueda has maybe like a higher chance of being able to, to raise rates and get off of negative 10 basis points than... Amamiya or or what? what what gives you confidence that he will stay on this negative 10 basis points track i i i don't know what that he'll do that i don't know what he'll do at all no, nobody does people are you know make, making guesses as to what he's going to do like frankly he doesn't know what he's going to do either right so let, let me just um like just answer your question uh like 
regarding Ueda, basically his beliefs and all that, we simply don't know what they are. We, we don't. Like, I've watched all the parliamentary hearings and all that, and he's doing what he's supposed to do, which is just to maintain and keep, like, repeating the Kuroda um, playbook as he should be, like I said, because you can't, like, just if, if he starts talking about something else, he's going to just create this unnecessary volatility to walk into, um, which is a reason why I thought that today there's also going to be no surprise, you know, cha change in policy for the, the Kuroda's uh, last BOJ meeting, because why would he hand that off to this incoming person, right? Um, so let them do that if, and, and deal with the volatility. Um, it's not you're, not, you're not helping anyone by doing a, a last minute policy change. Um, but uh with regards to Ueda, we just simply don't know but uh, it doesn't really matter in my view uh who it is it doesn't matter if it's Ueda. it doesn't matter if kuroda has a third term it doesn't matter if it's ben bernanke who got chosen for the bank of japan governor um because in the grand scheme of things in the big picture yes they might be able to try to shift policy they might try to abolish yield curve control or increase the bans on it or get rid of the negative interest rate or whatever it may be that part actually they might be able to do and just kind of leave it but in terms of yield curve control in the grand scheme of things, they're they're going to have to come back to it at some point, right? They're not able to uh, abandon these policies. The policies that uh, I mentioned before that um, that Governor Kuroda has done over this past decade, this completely, you know, unprecedented level of easing ex policy experimentation is what it is. Like this is what Bank of Japan does, right? It leads the other central banks with policy experimentation. Um, but when you're owning half the J JGB market outstanding when you're setting prices on the other half when you're basically doing you're micromanaging each sort of you know jgb issuance like the 10-year issuance issue by issue um what you can lend what you can you know what tar what they're targeting to buy unlimited amounts of how much they own over 100 so on and so forth um and when it's getting to that level it's like really messing up the um the like financial functioning of, of the market and the dysfunctioning um at some point you're going to have to come back to uh, capping yields or to accommodation, just like the Bank of England had to do temporarily in uh, just, you know, what was it September or October of, of 2022? Um, so, you know, my, my broader thesis is that the Bank of Japan is no longer run by the personnel, it's run by the policy. The policy runs the personnel, not the other way around. It doesn't matter who it is, um, who's, in, who's in the seat. Uh, they basically created a Frankenstein. They're kind of stuck in this in this you know this world now, and they have to now just continue to deal with it. Um, they can attempt to make tweaks, but they're going to find themselves uh, having to resume in maybe in a different name or whatever they want to call it, but some sort of accommodation. People made a lot of arguments about the United States a year ago because the U.S. debt was so large. Uh, you know, U.S. debt as a percentage of GDP is large, uh, not nearly as large as Japan's, but it is large. And for that reason, people said Powell can never hike rates. You know, he may get to 50 basis points or 1%, but once he does that, he's toast. And, you know, now interest rates are at 4.75%. And I'm in New York. Things are fine. You know, we can, we're still breathing <laughs> oxygen over here. The sun still shines. So... You know, yes, that's it's a long-term thesis. Oh, okay, uh, debt sustainability costs, but that really, you know, if 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 the, if Ueda wanted to hike interest rates in Japan to three percent, I mean, he could, right? There's no, there's nothing impossible in in monetary policy, and the Bank of Japan has showed us that. Yeah, there's the they can do what they can attempt to do whatever they want to. Of course, um, they could, you know, the Bank of Japan, um, like just like you said, is is the pioneering essential bank. So, uh, if they want to try to 
so they're the biggest in the hole, right? They're, they're the, they've done the most amount of easing. They have uh, their assets on the balance sheet are 120% of debt to GDP, which is twice the runner up, uh, which is the ECB at 60%. Um, and, you know, well, the last time you and I spoke, you know, we were talking about how much QE they were doing going into the January BOJ meeting, you know, just in those like two days alone, or over the course of January, they were doing 50% more QE notional amount, $180 billion worth of QE. Um, in January alone, which is 50% more than peak Fed QE, um, uh, you know, on a notional for notional uh, basis. Um, so yeah, they 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 could do that, and then they, if they want to try to unwind the greatest QE and like balance sheet like unwind of all time, of course they are they're free to do whatever they want to. But they are going to be constrained by the the same for the same exact reasons that. Governor Kuroda could not remove yield curve control throughout all of 2022, even at the expense of a, a yen getting, you know, killed 33% at its lows uh, year to date. Um, the, this is a policy that you cannot have borrowing costs in Japan uh, increase. You already have basically one quarter of Japan's budget going to just servicing debt, um, uh, existing debt, right? For their one quadrillion yen of outstanding bonds, that's with a low those that's that that is that issuance is done on a like a very low rate. If you just have that you know twenty five basis point sort of ten year yield cap that that most of uh, yield curve control was at, if you basically have that at like one percent or two percent, so if basically borrowing costs quadruple or, or you know quintuplers or, or what have you, you're looking at like the entire budget used simply to service the debt existing. So, right. Okay. Yeah. Those numbers that you laid out—a quarter of Japanese government government expenditure just goes to service the debt, and interest rates are at zero. So that so that does paint. Well, they're not a at zero, of, but, uh, well, but they're well, more the, less. The, yeah. the, the ten years that they're not at, at four hundred basis points. Yeah, yeah uh, the like ten years at fifty basis points. Uh, it's it's pinned at zero with a range of negative fifty or plus fifty basis points. Spending goes up, and yeah, spending's going up. The, the demographics are against them. They're, you don't have you know. There's more people that are becoming tax dependent rather than you know providing uh, the you know the tax revenues. The they have to keep issuing JGBs. West, I've got a question about demographics. So, so aging is is uh, Japan's demographics. It's a very aged uh, population. It has been aging rapidly uh, for for, you know, for forty years, and to some degree that ex- it explains uh, the you know, economic phenomena, monetary phenomena. Uh, but is it is it getting is it still getting worse? Is it still aging? Sure. Yeah. If you look at the demographic period uh, pyramid, but yeah, like demographics is the one thing I forgot who I heard this from, uh, but. Uh, it's the one thing that it's, it's it's predictable. You can see it. You can see like what the consequences of you know China one child policy was, and so on and so forth. Like you, you can see decades into the future of what your population makeup is going to be. Now, what what how are you going to mitigate that with immigration policy, all that kind of thing? That has that can be the dynamic that changes. But as it stands right now, um, Japanese people are going to become extinct in like three hundred years, essentially. So um, either way, like they're they're the debt burden is just getting massive massive it already is it's getting even more massive and but they can continue to do this so long as they cap yields on, on jgbs and they continue to buy jgbs at extremely large you know um notional amounts it, what happens if so inflation has gone from zero percent to four percent what happens if inflation goes to five percent and stays there or six percent and stays there uh, japanese people are gonna have to pay more for things like <laughs> Like the thing, so like Japan, um, when you 
so everyone from the kind of the like a Western mind frame looks at like Japan inflation, all that. And yes, it's it's an issue. But uh, the re- if you, it's kind of it's almost insane when you hear them talk like uh, not just the um, the Bank of Japan uh, and Governor Kuroda, but like incoming Governor Ueda when he was uh, before Parliament just two three weeks ago, and they were talking and they were like kind of you know grilling him. Some some of them were grilling him, some of them were not. But when they're talking about Japan inflation and CPI and stuff like that, they're talking as if present day inflation is not only not above two percent but they're talking as if it's ne- it has yet to hit two percent the two percent target they're like they're saying like so what if you know japan actually reaches above the two percent target japan core cpi is for four point three percent right now like that it's 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 almost like they're almost living in a different reality now what they're talking Which about is wild is because japan sustained. is like the de- deflation capital of the world over the right. past and, three decades yeah so and and so the the, the projections of the substance by the government by the boj themselves are that this is temporary um this is not japan inflation this is obviously global inflation um temporary so where it, have i heard that what's the synonym for temporary weston uh the japanese word for it is transitory so yes, uh, exactly. yeah, yeah yeah so but but it, you know to 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 a degree i do i do kind of agree that um look if no other countries were experiencing inflation right now except for japan then yeah that that would be japan inflation but if you're looking at every other developed nation um that was almost even the us was almost flirting with like a 10 handle on on cpi and japan it was is kind of creeping up into the like the four handle uh that's clearly a global sort of phenomenon and japan still lags by almost half um in in terms of inflation so inflation isn't a concern necessarily um enough to to dial back the easing policy that they that they've implemented um it's not it's that's what kuroda's last press conference and every press conference before that has been all about that it is not early and you know it's it's not enough time and all that kind of thing and then the one other thing is that they're looking for wage inflation they want to see wages grow in, in japan wages are going to pick up in japan they you, you see like headlines of like fast retailing uniqlo like increasing 40 percent wages stuff like that not, not just that, really but, like kind of yeah 40 percent 40 percent right um but if it's if it's if they're going to do that and it's going to be an, like a like a headline article it probably means it's a kind of outlier anomaly nonetheless uh you are going to yep. get wage um wages to increase you are not going to get real wages to increase at all and when people are get their wages increased this year, um, the mindset is going to be that this is not, this is kind of a one off thing. And when Japanese people receive a one off payment, like in COVID, um, that goes into the mattress or into like the zero yielding bank account. It sits in cash. It's almost deflationary when you um, you know increase like uh, uh, somebody's sort of income. Uh, so if that if it needs to really be like sustained year after year after year, and this is why it needs to t- that's this is why they're saying it needs to take time for them to assess whether or not this is real sustained. Um, you know, is it cost push inflation or not? And and th- until we get proof of that, we must maintain our policy. And I sort of agree in that sense that if you've done this for this long, you've gone this far on the whole, you're not just going to pivot on a few prints of four three four percent uh core cpi um and yet to you know see any sort of evidence on any um real wage inflation you know taking place so for now they're going to continue to do this this is why another reason why like i don't believe in this thesis of 
just ripping off a band-aid of yield curve control and, and all that coming uh, with a new guy or otherwise. Right, Weston, let's talk about the price action. So uh, today, there's no action announced at the, the Bank of Japan uh, news, so interest rates did not go, go higher. Uh, as a result, you have some bank stocks in Japan crashing. Uh, Sumitomo uh, going down, uh, Mitsubishi, uh, you know, ma- many other banks going down. To what degree do you think that it can be explained by the fact that, oh, interest rates didn't go up and rising rates are good for banks, or so they tell us? Or do you think there's this, it's part of the sort of global worry about bank stocks, you know, in the US, bank stocks were down like 4% yesterday, and um, uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, SIVB is the the ticker, uh, down 60% yesterday, down 40% in after hours trading, it was halted, really wild stuff going on there. Um, But yeah, so how do you sort of explain this really bearish price action in the Japanese banks? The the topics banks index versus topics. Um, You'll see that, so the overnight, you know, hit to global banks actually did push the Topics banks index down. Um, they were down about maybe two percent or so uh, headed before the BOJ policy meeting came out. So, like in the AM session. But when the BOJ policy meeting came out, and there was no change, right? No change basically means no more increasing of the ten-year JGB yield um, band, and therefore no more sort of net interest margin potential. Um, to, to, to widen and therefore a, a crash. And basically you saw the, the bank stocks take an enormous hit. Like uh, like you said, like these, you know, if you look at the turnover for the day, um, all these names sort of listed, um, you'll see that these were the, you know, the, the most active names were were the bank stocks, um, the, the single stocks. And then within the, them, you'll see like uh, the regional banks, Arizona Holdings, for example, um, and so on and so forth. They're down 7 8%, um, even more actually, um, but uh, they're, they're all getting hit, but they got hit after the BOJ meeting. So that could be interpreted in many different ways. It could just be like, you know, let's wait to see what the BOJ is going to do before we were going to, you know, they're going to sell anyway because of what's happening with uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Or uh, this was all that Silicon Valley Bank price action was in the AM session. And then this was a reaction to the um, to the BOJ, you know, standing pat. But either way, the Japanese bank stocks have been the most kind of like breakout to the upside since December of all the bank stocks uh, globally. Um, and this includes zero stocks banks, you know, the KBW, whatever it may be. And so if you're going to start seeing t- profit taking, it's going to happen in Japan. And these the bank stocks like MUFG and all that are probably going to get, you know, beaten down very, very heavily, I would think. Right. And those uh, Japanese banks rallied in part because, oh, the Bank of Japan is widening their yield curve control uh, bands. So interest rates are rising, and that means banks can get a higher yield on their loans. And yes, that is true. Uh, however, in some cases, it means that uh, banks have to pay more for deposits. It's not just about the assets, it's also about the liabilities. And in the case of uh, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, the, the venture capital has kind of frozen uh, private equity. Not No deals are being done. So companies that had deposits there are pulling their money. So there's a kind of a bank run at, at Silicon uh, Valley Bank. Um, you know, that being said, do I think do I think JP Morgan is going to be fine? Yes. Uh, but but Weston, what do you think? It's kind of a consequence of a rising rate environment, right? That they um, essentially, are, this this is what kind of uh, exposed that, I suppose, or or maybe created this. And they're, they're having to, to shed these assets and, um, you know, if, if you're if you're holding, if you're not holding a bond to maturity, you're taking massive mark to mark losses, right? 
Um, and this is a scenario that this is kind of how I was thinking about, like, um, if the Bank of Japan starts to lift yields, like, on the long end, essentially the yield, yield curve control, like, getting more and more, like, phased out, you're looking at massive, like, mark-to-market losses on JGBs that were supposed to have, like, an explicit floor um, on them. And that creates a massive problem for holders of those JGBs uh, as well, including banks, insurance companies, pensions funds, so on and so forth. So, um, so yeah, so I, I think that, um, you know, there are, like, parallels to that, not to mention the parallels of the actual, you know, market volatility and the more sort of technical um, – you know, uh, volatility explosion that could happen in the rates market that could spill over to the treasury market and so on and so forth. Right. So if rates rise, banks can make new loans at higher profitability. However, the loans are more accurately the, the often securities like uh, government bonds or mortgage-backed securities, uh, they go down in value as interest rates go up. So it's kind of been, it's like, which is, uh, is is the is the increased profitability on loans is that better a more positive force than the negative force of the mark to market losses on these securities and by the way many banks don't have to realize those mark to market losses because they hold them in their HTM portfolio uh, hold to maturity as opposed to ATS available AFS AFS available for sale um, yeah so what do you think would would rising rates actually be good for Japanese banks the market seems to think so um, I think that. At this point, like the expectations of the you know positive earnings impact that Japanese banks like let's tell the, the the three mega banks being MUFG, uh, SMFG, and and Mizuho Bank, Mizuho Bank, um, which are by the way they all all three of them have uh, US ADR tickers as those tickers MFG is uh, Mizuho, but um, the upside from like potential net interest margin positive earnings impact seems pretty well priced in. Um, that's not to say that they can't have a runaway momentum like upside, which has been going on. But uh, as I mentioned to you the last time I spoke to you, um, I rode that kind of, uh, you know, the MUFG long um, from December meeting to uh, January. I closed that out, bought puts. They were basically were worthless thereafter. Um, but um, but I don't. Th- I, I think that yeah. I don't. I don't really think that there's there's like too much like near term upside uh, from from that because just because of the policy itself. I don't think that there's going to be a massive spike in uh, JGB yields. Um, that said, though, there is something that kind of is a, a very out there and like kind of interesting thought that I was uh, thinking just the other day. But in a long from a longer term perspective, it actually might be interesting to go long these like very obscure smaller regional japanese bank stocks that are left for dead uh, for good reason for, um, f- that have been left for dead for a long time and that's the reason why is because um so there are more than 50% of household assets are in cash and so therefore they're sitting in these banks a lot of people like we're just talking about demographics in japan are dying and they don't have like families or or anything and so they're dying and they're leaving enormous amounts of cash like kind of scattered all over these banks these like regional banks and they just sit there and there's nobody to claim them there's nobody to even tell the banks that they're this person has passed away or whatever it is right and so i have to look into this deeper but there's something where in which like if you don't touch your like account for a long time uh they can start to like charge 
you know, they're already not paying you any interest on it, but they can start to like charge you for, you know, X amount of yen. It's like a thousand yen, $10 per whatever per month or something. But at some point they can kind of claim those assets if I'm not mistaken. And I have to look, don't quote me on that. I have to like really look into it, but there might be a, it might be an interesting play to go long these because there might be a time where a lot of Japanese people pass away. They don't touch any of this, the over 50% of their, you know, cash that's, uh, that's, being held uh, in cash in, in these banks and then that just suddenly becomes like a i don't know like an like an income like a stream for um for for some of these smaller banks uh and the more that people kind of you know do you have a name of an example of a type of bank of what so look again this is something that just occurred to me um recently so i have to okay. like really look into it but um but if you look at the list of all those banks that you know of the performance of the day like with the exception of the three big ones and maybe like Rizona on top, like look at any of those and and those are all kind of very um, obscure smaller banks. So I want to look at the, the yield curve of Japan later, get into the, the dynamics, but just looking beyond Japan, let's just take US, for example, you know, maybe Europe. How are you thinking about the, the markets there in terms of rates, stocks? Are you seeing any opportunities? What stands out to you? Since October of 2022, the Bank of Japan and the PBOC, the Chinese Central Bank, have combined added a net like one trillion of liquidity to the market. So if you're just looking at the Fed or the ECB, it might seem like, oh, this is like a tightening environment and all that kind of thing. But it's being completely offset by, not completely, but it's being in large part offset by what's happening in Asia. Um, it's going, you know, the Asia's two biggest economies and central banks, the BOJ and the PBOC, have been massively easing, um, and that's been offsetting this this tightening and this this QE that's been going on in uh, in in your neck of the woods and in in Europe, and that's also providing upside to equities um, as we have experienced year to date. Um, so I am of the belief of that as well. This is why I'm starting this you know, podcast with BlockWorks um, to cover from the Asia perspective so that everyone sees the full global picture. And if the BOJ is indeed going to stop like providing liquidity, if the, if the PBOC is also going to um, and uh, or, or, or not, like I think that th- those are going to be the um, make or break sort of liquidity providers from a central bank, from a monetary policy pr- perspective into things like, like equities and, and all that. So uh, it depends on, um, you know, what, what they, what they're going to do. Now I happen to think that the BOJ is going to continue to uh, ease as well as the PBOC. And so if indeed those are helping risk assets drive higher, um, I see upside in, you know, in, over, over the next say two quarters or so, or, you know, this year uh, in, in the equity market. Got it. Well, so now let's look at this chart of the Japanese government bond yield curve. So uh, what are we seeing on the x-axis, the y-axis? Uh, what are the dates and what can we infer from this? And why is there such a big chunk, uh, such a big hump in the middle? Like a- This is the reason that the Bank of Japan uh, lifted yield curve control bans back in December. It's not having, it's nothing to do with CPI or anything like that. This is why. This is uh, the JGB yield curve is a very messed up looking yield curve because you see that like kink right at that 10 year mark, that 10 year level. That's where there's so much concentrated buying because the 10 year JGB has now become a policy rate in addition to the negative 0.1% overnight rate. So now that they made it a policy rate and they're concentrating so much buying, they've made this kink such that 
eight-year JGBs, nine-year JGBs are not only yielding above the 10-year JGB, but they're yielding above the you know yield curve control so-called cap, right? So uh, that's what they tried to smooth out. Um, that that really backfired in December, uh, January. They stepped to pat, and then this, they stood pat today as well. And they're going to because they learned that that is not improving. That kink is not improving. As you can see, like the red line is uh, most recent. Um, the um, the the blue the blue and the red line is uh, basically from January to uh, monetary policy meeting to this today's monetary, monetary policy meeting and that kink still remains right so lifting the 10-year yield curve control ban isn't doing anything uh for in smoothing smoothing this yield curve out in fact if anything it's making them have to buy even more because the markets are now thinking that yield curve control is going to be gone and they start you know shorting the hell out of 10-year jgbs and they have to keep buying more and then they do more qe than the fed does in one month and so you get the same sort of problem that's what the lesson that they learned and i think that that's something that they've really internalized uh over the the month of from from december to january they learn like you don't we can't touch yield curve control uh bans because this is the kind of the the insanity that 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 happens so this yield curve um is gonna probably stay and there's really nothing that they can do about it if you go to that next um uh screenshot though of um the the market conditions yeah okay so what this is this is the actual reason that they cite and what i believe is the reason that they um also made a move on yields curve control um bond market functioning right or dysfunctioning so you'll see uh on the right side from the on, on the bottom side you'll see that like that was from november a, a survey of bond market participants you know taken uh, so so there's a survey taken of bond market participants like J, jgb actual buyers and sellers of jgbs like 80 institutions um and, and market makers and dealers and so on and so forth and like bid ask spreads and so on and so forth and then so it's like basically how um how are market conditions are they getting better or are they getting worse and if they're getting more worse than they're getting better that line goes down and so you can see basically in November, um, early November, when that survey was taken, uh, bond market conditions were like dropping to the like the lowest levels sharply. That's what changed, um, and that's what made BOJ uh, adjust yield curve control in December. After that, however, the most recent period was this past February, February 1st to February uh, 7th. Bond market conditions have worsened even more so. Um, so th like their mitigation measures of like expanding yield curve control and all that, that just made things once again worse. And so therefore they realized that like the, the prescription is actually killing the patient even more so. And that's why they're not going to, in my view, um, be so quick to move on, you know, uh, removing the, the cap on JGB, uh, yield curve control, um, and, 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 or for this reason and, or for, uh, CPI reasons. Um, I think that that's here to stay. Thanks, Wesson. Um, been great getting you uh, back on for guidance. People should follow you on Twitter uh, at Across the Spread, and they should follow your new show, Market Depth, which uh, comes out the first episode on Wednesday, March fifteenth. And there will be a link in the description uh, of this episode. Wesson, just what are your your final thoughts on on the Bank of Japan, and how are you seeing this playing out? Uh, what do you see the odds of you know in a year the 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 policy is the exact same of negative ten basis points and uh, yield curve control of zero on the on the ten year yield, um, and if it, if it is the case, I mean, is the Japanese yen a lot weaker because Japanese yield is yielding zero, and Europe, Europe, US are all, all yielding you know three, four, five, maybe six percent. Uh, so I think that so first of all, uh, thanks for having me on your your show. Um, 
I, I would uh, I invite you to join me on uh, <laughs> on mine as well on on market depth if you want to if you but that's going to require you to wake up uh, at uh, Asia market close which is about three a.m. your time. Um, but what I'll say is look, looking forward, I I don't know the reason I don't know um, in terms of dollar yen levels and all that is because. I do believe that yield curve control remains – some form of yield curve control remains um, and, and some form of like permanent accommodation in Japan remains. And so it's – things like dollar yen and all that is going to be a US Treasury yield level call, and I don't really have a particularly strong view um, either way on that. But if US, US Treasuries fall essentially and JGBs remain kept – um, or if your treasuries rise um, and JGBs remain capped, you're going to see that yield spread widen. You're going to see dollar yen, therefore, uh, continue to increase, um, and therefore, you know, yen is going to continue to get just sort of blasted downwards. Um, what I, what I'll say though is that regarding the incoming governor, right? Um, for the next month, you're going to see probably extreme volatility because right now we're in between two governors. We're in between Kuroda and we're uh, and Ueda. Kuroda is like a staple. He's Gus Fring. He's known as like a, he's he's he is the institution. He's basically like when Gus Fring suddenly gets his face blown off, right? Um, well, well, the the you know like the lab still remains. The operations still are out there. They don't just disappear with his half of his, his face, right? So uh, what's gonna you know what's gonna happen is that this Ueda guy is gonna inherit this this like Kuroda. Um, the coronomics dynamic, uh, and that's a dynamic that is basically battling markets every single day on a daily basis. It's a fist fight against JGB shorts, um, and if not that, against JPY shorts and, and political pressure and so on and so forth. Right. So, uh, Governor Crow has been able to do that more or less um, because he's been able to literally laugh it off. If you watch any of my, my kind of meme things that I like make uh, but or, or any sort of English speaking interview, Governor Crow is constantly laughing. Like it's almost like involuntarily. So like, like he can't control it. That I believe has literally saved Japan many times because it shows like confidence, like in like, I will not move on my policy period. I don't care what the Fed and the ECB are doing. I don't care what the CPI is doing. Yields are capped period. Easing must be maintained and so on and so forth. If you now look at this guy who just got picked out of nowhere because Amamiya ran from the job because he saw what's happening on the inside of BOJ and he, nobody wants a job. And this guy was picked last minute and thrown into this role. And he he's having trouble kind of getting like words out and sounding very nervous. In other words, being the exact opposite of presentation wise of, uh, of Kuroda. I, I don't see how like the shorts are not going to try to just blast this guy and, and uh, the JGB market. Um, so I think that you're going to get a ton of market pressure of J like the BOJ is going to break. We're going to make the BOJ break. And I think that they might find some success, but ultimately they won't because again, the institution and the policy runs the, uh, runs the show and not the not the individuals within and they're going to have to come back with some sort of um, you know drastic easing easing policy uh, to combat the shortly you know the the the, the to combat the um, what is it like the victorious for a, a temporarily victorious short sellers and, and non-widows of, of JGBs. So um, I would think that if there, if you see a move like that where yield curve control is like gone and all that and markets are pricing for that, that's an opportunity to look at, okay, like, you know, time it well, but that's an opportunity to potentially look at uh, reintroduction of easing coming back. Mm, interesting. Uh, but you, so you said 
the shorts will get an opportunity. Obviously, so many people short the yen, short Japanese government bond market. But in the same way, when a stock declines, you know, the CEO says the short sellers are attacking. But often it's just people who are long the stock selling some of their holdings. Like it's, it also could be you know, a Japanese institution saying, hey, we don't want zero. We want 5% in US treasuries. Oh, and by the way, the whole argument of, uh, well, the Japanese uh, yield should be lower because Japan doesn't have inflation. That argument is is now thrown out the window, right? Right. And, and to that point, I just want to mention, by the way, um, that, th- again, this is about market dysfunction. Uh, JGB, 10-year JGBs, issue by issue. So like issue number 368, number 369, number th- you know 370. These are different issuances. They are trading and their yields are so dispersed from one another such that issue ten year JGB issue number three six eight okay today actually hit a negative yield so that issue is actually that ten year JGB yield is actually um yielding I think it's like in like the some low teen base points and not at like the fifty uh yield curve control cap but it actually hit negative today um it's not the one that you quote that you see quoted on screens everywhere but you know you're you are getting some insan- insanity in like the JGB markets issue by issue, and they're that's why they're you know they're managing this issue by issue. That's why this sleepy professor who's going to become the Bank of Japan governor, again with all due respect, he doesn't know what he's walking into. Whoever accepted the job, if you're qualified to accept the job, you wouldn't take the job. The only those who would uh, take the only people who would take the job are those who don't know what they're walking into and therefore are not qualified for that job. I don't care who it is. But this is who it is. Um, and so, yeah, so so really crazy things are happening in the JGB market. And, uh, you know, you talk about things breaking. I mean, things are breaking, if not are broken right now. And who knows what the near-term repercussions are. Every day is like walking on eggshells with the JGB market. And if you get a blow up in the JGB market, it's not some Silicon Valley bank, then that could be global cross-asset, you know, repercussions uh, spilling over. That's why I need to keep an eye on it. That's why you should watch my show starting on Wednesday, the 15th. Um, uh, Which is called uh, what? Which is called what? Market depth. And you, yep. And make sure that you subscribe because these are going to be very time sensitive to that day. Right. So you don't want to miss any of that. Definitely. So it will be on YouTube on Blockworks Macro, the same channel where uh, Forward Guidance, this this show is, is airs on YouTube, but on podcasts, so Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other ones, uh, it will be uh, market depth. And so you, you got to subscribe to that specific one. Weston, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for watching. Looking forward to your first episode. Thanks so much. Forward Guidance, the program you just enjoyed, hopefully, can be viewed on YouTube at Blockworks Macro or heard as a podcast on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Episodes are typically released on Apple and Spotify a few hours before they air on YouTube. Please leave a review on Apple Podcast if you feel so inclined. Also, you can get 10% off to Permissionless 2023 and Blockworks Research using code GUIDANCE10. Thanks again and be well.